Jesus says, love your enemies. He goes so far as to say, pray for those who are trying to hurt you. Really, Jesus? Really? In this episode of The Bible in Life, we look at how it is that we can become the kind of person who lives that way. Hey friends, hope all is well with you. It's just crazy to me to think that it's already September. I kind of feel like, man, where did the summer go, right? And uh, just surprising to me that we're we're starting to head into the fall. And at least where I live here in Boise, Idaho, the nights are already cooling off. The mornings are crisp and cool. And we've already had some mornings uh, down in the upper 40s or low 50s. And so really cooling off around here. And that's just so surprising to me. It seems like August just started and Here we are in September. So wherever you're at, wherever you're listening from, I hope all is well with you. And um, I I hope that uh, life is going well. And as you move into a new season, uh, you're doing so with grace and the spirit and uh, walking with Jesus. So we're we're ready to jump into a really uh, important section again in the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to review where we're at in the sermon so that you kind of have a sense of the whole. We don't lose the big picture for the sake of all the parts that we're looking at. And, and so let's just, let's just walk through where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount begins really with Jesus looking at this uh, vast crowd of people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. Yes, granted, they're all Jews, but they're kind of at different stations in their faithfulness to God and even their their uh, walk with God. And so Jesus offers there at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and what's traditionally called the Beatitudes, an open door policy. Wherever you've come from, religious, not religious, righteous, not righteous, hungering for righteous, wherever you've come from, uh, God is throwing the the door of his kingdom wide open in and through the person of Jesus. And so that's where the sermon begins. And Jesus then talks about how he intends to form the people that come into his kingdom, his followers, his disciples, into a city set on a hill uh, to be the light uh, of the world, to shine God's wisdom and glory to the world. He intends to do that by forming in his disciples surpassing righteousness. And so the section of the Sermon on the Mount we've been in for the last uh, several episodes of this podcast have been Jesus giving examples of illustrations of surpassing righteousness. And so he talked about murder and said, but that's not enough. You need to remove anger. He talked about adultery and said, that's great, but that's not enough. You need to remove all consuming sexual desire, lust, and, and you need to be faithful to your spouse and not just divorce her. He talked about oaths and I promise I'll do something. And he said, really, you just need to have the integrity where if you say you'll do it, you'll do it. And if you say you won't do it, you won't do it. That you just have that kind of complete integrity. And and then where we were at in last week's uh, podcast, I was being actively kind to all people, especially to those who aren't kind to you. And Jesus talked in that uh, that passage, he talked about people who maybe hurt you. He talked about people who use their authority or their power to take advantage of you or to force you to do things that, uh, man, go above and beyond what really your job description is or something like that. 
Uh, he, he called us to be actively kind, to do good, to lend, to care for all kinds of people just because they, they ask of us. I followed that up with a special bonus podcast that I just called When People Treat Us Badly Part 2 and followed that up uh, with that special bonus podcast. Say, all right, that's so contrary to the normal way of life, being actively kind to people who aren't kind to you. That's just so unusual, so radical, so different. How can we become the kind of people who do that? And so that special extra bonus podcast just gave some reflections uh, on that. It's I think, super important material as it begins to help us think through how do we become the kind of person that Jesus is calling us to be. So if you haven't checked that out, uh, that that episode is When People Treat Us Badly, Part 2. I would encourage you to look at that. And where we're at in today's episode really is the culmination of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus has been giving his description and examples of surpassing righteousness, and now we sort of reach the culmination and the final paragraph in that section and that culminates with really being called to, to love. And in a lot of ways, it's really in the same vein with what we, we looked at in our last episode, um, that the kingdom heart is a heart full of love. This is the essence or the core of followers of Jesus, that their, their heart is full of love and extends and gives love to all sorts of people. So listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, and this has been the way he's been going about the, these examples all along. Here's kind of the old kind of righteousness. Here's the standard view of righteousness. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I don't know if that was a real saying among Jesus' contemporaries or not, or if he's just saying, that's the way you guys live. Love the people you that are easy to love. Hate those who are hard to love. Um... You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Those people who wrong you, hurt you, are out to get you. Those people who actively will your harm in some way. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this teaching is, again, radical and revolutionary and goes beyond our normal way of operating. It's like, if somebody hurts you, we, we, we think it's, it's our fair game to, to hate them or at least want to do them harm if we get the chance or wrong them in some way. Uh, we want to snub them or whatever we can. Jesus is saying, love even your enemies. And then your love should go so far as that you pray for them. You pray for their well-being. Uh, you pray for, for God's blessing. You pl- pray for uh, good things for them. You pray for, for your enemies and for those who persecute you. And then Jesus goes on and says, and if you do this, you'll be like God. He says in verse 45, in order that, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that with the end result that, You may be sons, you may be children, sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven, because He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, that God does good to all people, the good people and the bad people. 
The people who like God and the people who don't like God, they actually get to enjoy the blessings of this good world that God has made. And so if you will love your enemies, you will be like God and you will be treating people the way God treats all people. For, he says in verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Like, if you love the people who are nice to you, who are fun to be around, who are kind to you, who do good to you, if you love that, do you get a blue ribbon for that? Do you get a gold star for that? And Jesus says, don't even the tax collectors do the same thing? Who are the tax collectors? The tax collectors are the And from there, Jesus' contemporaries' way of evaluating society, they're at the bottom of the list. They're some of the worst of the worst, and they do that. In other words, people who just have no real moral structure, people who are criminals, who are crooks, who are gangbangers and all that, they actually, they love and treat well the people in their own inner circle, the people who are nice to them, right? So why would you expect to get a blue ribbon and a a gold star for just doing what even the worst of the worst people do? goes on in verse 47 and says, if you greet your brothers only, if you greet, you know, your, your brothers, your friends, the people of your group, what more do you do than others? Don't even the, the Gentiles, those people who have no relationship in Jesus' culture with God, don't they do the same thing? Like, you haven't done anything more than anybody else. And remember, Jesus is calling us to be the light of the world. He's calling us to be a city set on a hill. He's calling us to live a different kind of human life, the kind of human life he actually lived, the kind that God designed us to live. And that means it's to be a life marked by love for all people. If we're going to stand out as unique, as different, as a Jesus honoring in this world, then we can't just greet the people who are, are part of our own inner circle. We can't just be kind to the people who are kind to us. We can't just love the people who love us. We're really responsible to love all people uh, and to be prepared to love even those people in our immediate contact, our immediate sphere of influence, those people there who are really difficult to love, the people there who maybe even have tried to harm us in the past or have done things to to undermine us or to undercut us or made life at times difficult for, for us. We're, we're responsible to love those people as well. Now, let's just pause and reflect on that. How, how can we do that? Again, this is so revolutionary, so countercultural, so going against the grain of the usual human way of living. How can you and how can I become the kind of person who lives this way? And first off, I just have to reemphasize that that's really what we must focus on. We must focus on more who we are than what we do. Not because what we do doesn't matter, but because Jesus isn't telling us to do something that's against who we are. He's telling us to become this kind of person, become the kind of person who loves your enemies, who prays for those who persecute you. He he intends for us to become that kind of person. He wants to make us that kind of person. And so if we aim at trying to do Jesus' words without becoming that kind of person, then what we risk is we risk hanging beautiful little ornaments on a dead tree. That's essentially what we do at Christmas, isn't it? 
we hang beautiful little ornaments on a dead tree. And three or four weeks after we put the tree up in our house, we're dragging the tree outside of our house and putting it next to the road. And all the needles are falling off because that tree is dried up and dead. And so if we attempt to just do Jesus' commands without becoming the kind of person he wants, that's essentially what we're doing. We're hanging beautiful ornaments on a dead tree. And that's not the goal. Jesus says in other places in his teaching, he says that the goal for us, the goal he's pursuing is for us to become a good tree, a healthy, flourishing, vibrant tree, a good tree that then naturally just produces good fruit. You don't have to tell a healthy apple tree to produce apples. It just does, right? Because that's what the tree is, and that's Jesus' goal for us. And so I just have to make sure we don't miss that that point, is that we need to make sure we focus more on who we are and who we're becoming than just what we do. So to love even our enemies, we must become full of love. You can't give what you don't have. If I wanted to give everyone in my life $100,000, it's just not going to happen. I don't have $100,000 for myself, yet alone for everyone in my life. You can't give what you don't have. And so if you want to be able to love even to your enemies, you have to have love. You have to be full of love. You have to have an abundance of love to give. And so... How do we become the kind of person who is full of love? Well, it starts with arranging our life to receive and live in love. That we have to arrange our life in such a way that love is being poured into our inner being and into our soul so that we live in an environment, in a context, in a climate that's full of love. And we we receive that love We get filled up with that love mainly from God. He is the constant, stable, undying source of eternal love. And and he, and he wants, he desires to impart himself to us. And so we are reconciled to God, Peter tells us, so that we can be partakers of the divine nature. That's 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, that as we come to God, we actually connect with God and Um, are reunited with God, and as a result, God's very own character, his very own nature begins to fill us up. It's like a transforming friendship. And so that connection with God fills us up with the divine nature. And we know that the divine nature is marked by, by love. God is love. And so we need to dwell in God who is love. And if we do that, then we're dwelling in love. And as we dwell in love, our soul becomes full of love, and then we have love to give. My son, I don't know exactly how old he was at the time. He was around maybe five, six years old, maybe a little older than that, right around there, though. We were having a conversation in our family room, and for some reason it hit uh, his little mind all of a sudden that dad and mom had always said that we have to love God first, and if we love God first, we can actually love Jeffrey better. Well, now it had just kind of all of a sudden hit him and with a question. It's like, well, how is that possible? How is it that if you love somebody else more than me and ahead of me, you can actually love me better? And so his little five, six-year-old brain was processing this, and he was asking me this question. Dad, it doesn't make sense. How is that possible? And in one of those rare 
moments of inspiration, I uh, I said, well, let me let me show you what I mean. And so Jeffrey and I got up from the couch in the family room. We walked into the kitchen in our house. I opened up the cupboard. I grabbed a cup out of the cupboard and I walked to the faucet and I turned on the faucet and I said this. Now I said, Jeff, imagine that the faucet is like God and this cup is like me. And I said, if I if I just occasionally stick the cup under this flowing stream of water, which is love from God, then I, and then I pour out love on you, eventually my cup runs out. I, I don't have any more love to give. But if I take my cup and I hold it under the faucet of God's love, and I just... I just stay there and I open myself up to and I dwell in God and dwell in his love, then what happens? And so we stood there and we held that cup until the, the faucet had filled my cup up and then it just kept overflowing and overflowing. I said, look what happens, bud. I said, when I fill this cup up with God's love and stay there, then God's love keeps pouring in and it just pours out all over the people around me. And so that's what I mean. Well, that's the picture that I want us to have. If we want to be full of love, then we need to dwell in God who is love, which means we're dwelling in love, and then we have love to give. And so the key to loving well, to loving our neighbors and even our enemies, is is to live in God, to live in His love. That's why love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. If you remember, later in Matthew's gospel, he records Jesus being asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But Jesus goes on and says, but there's a second commandment. And the second commandment is, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the reason it's the second commandment is, when we live in the love of God, and God's love fills us up, and continually and constantly, well, then it overflows out of us to all the people who are close to us, to our neighbors, to the people that we interact with on a daily basis, and we live a life of love, and it just overflows out of us. That's what makes loving the specific people in your life easy, because you're full of love. Your heart is overflowing with love. It's been filled up with love, and so that's the key to becoming this kind of person. When you dwell in the love of God, then you can afford to love other people, including your enemies. And that then makes loving our enemies second nature to us. It makes sense out of loving our enemies. And then we actually reflect God's love into this world. We're his sons and daughters, like father, like son. And that's why this little section of the Sermon on the Mount ends with, therefore, you are to be perfect, that is complete or whole. That's the force of the Greek word there. Don't think perfect in the sense of you never make a mistake. Think sense. Think perfect in the sense of mature, complete, whole. You are to be perfect, complete, just as your heavenly Father is perfect and complete. And you see, we don't become that on our own. We become that as we receive it from the Father in heaven. So as we dwell in his presence, as we dwell in his love, as we arrange our life to receive God's care, God's compassion, God's kindness, God's aid, God's friendship, and as we open our heart to that, then we become full of love and it pours out of us, overflows out of us to all the people who are close to us, the neighbors who are kind to us 
and even to neighbors, those close to us who aren't so kind to us and who aren't always easy to love, maybe even those who have wronged us or want to hurt us. Now, at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has done is he has wrapped up this section where he's giving illustrations of the surpassing righteousness. And the key to that is love. Uh, The goal of that, the culmination of that is a heart full of love. And so, if you want to be a disciple who manifests the surpassing righteousness and who shows God's wisdom and goodness as light in this world, then dwell in God who is love and receive his love in your life. Arrange your life intentionally. Do that. Put spiritual practices uh, in place, silence and solitude, prayer and scripture, memorize it and soak in it so that God's love fills your soul and then it overflows out of you into the lives of others all around you. All right, that's it for this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Uh, thanks for listening again. If you haven't had a chance already, I'd encourage you to swing on over to johnwhitaker.net. Just subscribe there to my website for email updates of uh, projects I'm working on or special offers for courses or uh, just kind of to keep tabs on what's going on with, with me and with the ministry. And occasionally I offer a uh, little Uh, thoughts or devotions through that as well. So swing on over to johnwhitaker.net. Subscribe right there to, to stay in the loop. God bless you guys. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Bible in Life.